So we're continuing the series, You've Been Called. And last week we talked about the fact that we are called accepted. We are named as accepted, and because we are accepted, we are free. And this week we're going to be talking about the fact that we are called secure. We are named secure. And we're going to be talking about security in light of the story of Job. Now it may seem kind of odd to pair the idea of security with the story of Job because Job is somebody whose life gets blown apart. You know the story, many of you. You know the story that Job starts off and he's described as somebody who's blameless and upright. He worships God. He's righteous. And he's also incredibly wealthy. He has thousands of animals under his care which is a sign of wealth. He has seven sons and three daughters, which is a guarantee that his wealth will continue from generation to generation to generation. Everything in Job's life is looking great. And then we hear in the story that the heavenly creatures come before God, and Satan's one of the creatures that comes before God, and God says to him, what you been up to? And he says, I've been going back and forth and looking across the world. God says, have you seen Job? I'm especially fond of Job. Job's just doing great. And Satan says, yeah, of course he is. Of course he's doing great. Because every time he prays, you, play, you pay. Why wouldn't he be great? The more he's pious, the more he prospers. This is working out great for Job. Tell you what, I'm willing to make a bet on this. You take away all his stuff, you take away all his blessings, Job's not going to be so happy with you anymore. I'm pretty sure that the only reason he praises you is because you bless him. I think that's how this works. God says, I'll take the bet. And this is what happens. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another one came up and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said the Chaldeans formed three columns and made a raid on the camels and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and your daughters, they were eating and drinking wine at their eldest brother's house, and, and suddenly a great wind came across the desert it struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and, and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. 
And once again, the heavenly beings come and they present themselves before God. And God says again to Satan, what you've been doing? And he said, I've been going back and forth on the earth. And God says, well, did you see Job? Did you see Job? He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me to, against him to destroy him for so no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin. All that people have, they will give for their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he's in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we, not receive good from, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard all these troubles that have come upon him, each of them set out from his home, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuthite, Zophar the Namathite. They met together to go and counsel and console him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. He looked that bad. The sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet were that bad. The grief had affected him physically so badly that his friends, his dear friends, when they saw him from a distance, they couldn't recognize him. That's what suffering did to Job. It literally made him unrecognizable to his friends. They raised their voices, they wept aloud, they tore their robes, they threw dust in the air upon their heads, they sat with him on the ground seven days, seven nights, and no one spoke a word because they saw that his suffering was very great. No one spoke a word because the suffering was very great. Seven days, seven nights, they just sit. And then Job starts to talk. And he says, I don't like it, what's going on. The pain in my life is so great, I wish I'd never been born. I do not understand what's going on. I don't really get this. And so his friends start to unpack with him what's exactly going on. They've, they've got some thoughts. They've got some ideas. They're pretty clear about what's been going on. They're pretty sure that Job is responsible for exactly what's been going on here. They've got a plan. They've got an idea. Job's just got to get his life back in order. He's made a few mistakes. That's what the problem is. Job, dude, what did you do? Or, as Bildad says, if your children sinned against God, he delivered them into the power of their transgression. What is he saying? It's obviously that your kids sinned, and God's just punishing them by killing them. Not something to say, ever, to anyone. 
He builds it says, look, if you seek God, if you make supplication to the Almighty, if you're pure and upright, surely then he'll rouse himself to you and restore you to your rightful place. Job, dude, seriously, what did you do? Man, it must have been bad because your life is in the pits. I mean, you've got nothing. You obviously messed up somewhere along the line. So would you just get back on track here? Because if you do, then God's going to rouse himself. He's going to restore you to your rightful place. Come on, Job, what'd you do wrong? Out with it. We're your friends. Confess it. Okay, it's one approach. Let's see what the next friend says. Zophar, if you direct your heart rightly, you'll stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand, if sin is in your hand, put it far away. Do not let wickedness reside in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish because right now, this is a mess right here, Job. The sores, not attractive. Look, if you just get rid of the sin, you get rid of the sores. This is how it's going to work. You will be secure, he says. Did you get that? You will be secure and without fear. This is the way it's got to work, Job. Come on. We all know this is how it works. Get in line. What is wrong with you? Warm, loving friends. Okay, let's see what the next one says. Eliphaz says, agree with God and be at peace. In this way, good will come to you. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. Have you not listened to the previous guys? This is the plan. We all know this is the plan. We all know this is the game. This is how it works. Return to the Lord, you'll be restored. Get rid of the sin, you get rid of the source. Piety, prosperity are connected. Become more pious, you get more prosperity. Let's go, Job. And then Elihu has a slightly different idea. He says, well, you know, God speaks in lots of different ways. Maybe it's just God speaking to you. Because God speaks in one way and in two, though people do not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, that's one way. And he also chastens with pain people upon their beds and with continual strife in their bones. So, you know, maybe he's just sending you a message. Maybe he's trying to teach you something and you're not getting it. So if you just got it, you know, then we could move along. So what we see from the friends and what we see from Satan is very similar. It's a doctrine of retribution. If you are pious, you prosper. If you obey, you are secure. If you are not secure, it's because you did not obey. Satan says, God, you bless the people who obey you. Stop blessing them and they'll stop obeying you. The friends say, look, God's not blessing you. You must have not been obeying him. Because these things, this is how it works. You give it up to God, he gives it back to you. That's the way it works. The doctrine of retribution. Now, it's easy for us to point at these guys and go, whoa, that's not helpful. That's not, isn't it? I mean, wow, so glad we have a more nuanced theology now. We are a little more, you know, complex in our idea of theodicy. But do you know that this is still a very prevalent idea? And now you, you could say, and you remember we talked about this when we talked about Exodus, that the Lord does say, I lay before you blessings and cursings. Now choose blessings. Now choose life so that things will go well for you. 
But if you remember when we talked about this, when we studied Exodus, remember God's talking about all y'all? Obedience is for all y'all. All y'all obey, all y'all get blessed. It's not you as an individual obey, you as an individual get blessed. He's talking about the covenant that is for the corporate body of believers. So, there are people who do take it out, though, and say, if you obey, you can guarantee your prosperity. If you pray this particular prayer in this particular way for so many days, it guarantees that God's going to have to do what you've prayed for. If you invest this type of money in this particular ministry for so many months in a row, I can guarantee you that whatever you pray will come true. So just send the donations in to me. Sound familiar? A lot of people make a lot of money off this. But it's even more subtle. I don't know how many of you have been reading or have read or have heard from or perused the backs of books about Christian dating. Where the idea is, if you, as a Christian person, seek to someday be married to another Christian person, here's what you got to do. Don't have sex before you're married. Don't drink before you're of age. And when you're of age, don't get drunk. Don't smoke. Basically, take good care of your body. Because if you honor your body, you're going to attract to yourself someone else who will honor your body. And take care of your money and tithe really well and serve other people. Go on service learning trips. Send out all sorts of good virtue vibes into the world. And if you do this godly stuff enough, eventually there will be this giant tractor beam of godliness that will somehow draw another godly person to you. And if you are pious enough, you will prosper. If you are obedient enough, you can guarantee your security. Because if you can be sure that you are matched with another godly person, and the two of you, godly person A and godly person B, get together, you will have a godly and wonderful and beautiful life, and no harm will ever befall your tent. It's going to be great. You're never going to have a miscarriage. You're never going to miss a mortgage payment. Your kids are going to grow up and be healthy and well. And they're all going to meet godly little people and make more godly little people. And the whole life's going to be so godly. It's going to be great. <laughs> this is all you have to do. I don't know why you're worrying about it. You just need to live a godly life for the total purpose of guaranteeing your security. Job says, um, it didn't work for me. If Job were here, he'd say, I call on that. That's a lie. Job says, in fact, you know what your words are like to me? He says this to his friends. I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Have windy words no limit? What provokes you that you keep on talking? The paraphrase is, shut up. <laughs> How is this helpful to me? 
This doctrine of retribution stuff, how is this helpful to me? Why do you keep placing the blame on me? Why do you think this is my fault? Why do you think this is my responsibility? You want me to poke holes in your little doctrine of retribution where the good people get blessed and the bad people get punished? Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about the wicked. Why do the wicked live on, reach old age, grow mighty in power? Their houses are safe from fear. No rod of God is on them. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. Job's like, look, if this is your doctrine, this whole, this is how God plays the game, if you just straighten out, God's going to give you more stuff. If you're more pious, you'll be more prosperous. If you're obedient, you can guarantee your security. He's like, really? Look at the wicked. We all know them. We can name them. You can name them. You know the people. Sure, there are the famous ones, you know, like the guy in charge of Syria. But there's also that kid who lives on your floor, and he's a pain, and everybody knows he's a pain. And he uses foul language, and he never goes to worship, and he kind of looks down on people who do. And yet, around people in authority, he's like such a kiss-up that they all love him, and he gets good grades, and it just grinds you. Or that guy who cheated your parent out of a job so that your parent is held in a particular level while this other person keeps getting promoted? Job says, come on. Really, you think that system works? The wicked are doing just fine, many of them. And by the way, let me remind you who I am. Let me remind you about my life. Let me tell you who I was. I delivered the poor who cried, the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the wretched came upon me. I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. I championed the cause of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made them drop their prey from their teeth. Job's like, come on, people. Come on, friends of mine. If this is really the system, it is horribly broken because the wicked seem to be doing just fine, and I'm here in the pit with nothing. This doctrine of retribution can't be right, but I don't know what system is. I don't know what's going on. I've lived my life perfectly. I've done all the things that God has told us to do. I've championed the cause of this stranger. If somebody was in need, I helped them out. You guys know I'm the one you call at three in the morning and I'm there. If you need a loan, I give it to you and then just a few weeks later, I completely forgive it. Come on. Obedience leads to security. Piety leads to prosperity. I don't get it. 
I don't care what's happened in my life. I don't get it. And it says then Job just goes quiet. He spends over 30 chapters talking back and forth with his friends. And he's just it's like, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. At the very end, after being silent for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind, a dust storm. And there are three sets of questions that God asks. Job's asked a lot of questions along the way, lots and lots and lots of questions along the way. God doesn't answer them. God asks more questions. Here's the first one he asks. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who shut in the sea with doors? This is a question about creation. Were you there? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I shut in the sea with doors? Were you there at creation, Job? Were you there? Or is creation and how it happened still a mystery to you, Job? Was it six 24-hour days? Did it happen over a long time? Is evolution true? I don't really know. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Or is that kind of stuff still pretty much a mystery? Was it two people? Were there 10,000 people? How did the genetics work? We don't know. Were you there? Or is it still a bit of a mystery to you? So that's the first question. The second set of questions starts here. Have you ever in your life ordered the morning forth and sunrise? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? So God's saying the sustaining presence. It's not like I just got creation going and then I, you know, went to the beach. There's a sustaining presence, Job, in every day, in every breath of every creature that I keep ordering and moving and checking up on. This is what I do. Are you there? Do you know how old the stars are? Some of them really kind of, but not really. I don't really know. Can you move them? Or do you watch them move? Have you ever wished that a day would just end? I wish this day was over. I wish this day was over. I wish. Didn't work. Job, 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 have you ever ordered the morning forth? Do you know the mystery of how things are kept into play? And then God switches tack and he starts talking about animals and he's like, have you ever seen the wild ostrich? They are cool. They are so fun. They run around. They're so strong. They're faster than a horse. They're really great. You should check out the ostrich. <laughs> Have you ever seen the mountain goats? And they, let, they like give birth and stuff all by themselves. It's just it's really adorable. And then they're like on the heights. It's just amazing. These tiny little goats and they never fall. It's so cool. And then toward the end, God gets really excited about two animals in particular. He says this, look at the behemoth, which most scholars believe is the hippopotamus. God's like, look at the behemoth, look at the hippo, which I made just as I made you. 
It eats grass like an ox. Isn't that crazy? Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs like bars of iron. I love the hippo. <laughs> hippo is awesome. Do you know what the hippo, Job? Have you, have you tamed it? Have you ridden it? Have you ridden it? Have you gone to like those, those corrals where they like breed hippos? No? Because they don't? Oh. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about another little animal I like. Let me tell you about another animal. Can you draw out the leviathan, which most scholars believe is a crocodile? Can you draw out the leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down its tongue with a cord? Don't try that at home. Will it make a... I love this line. God's like being funny. Will it make a covenant you to be taken with your servant forever? I'm Lyle Lyle the crocodile. I will be your friend forever. <laughs> God's like, look, Job. Look at the hippo. Look at the crocodile. Look at the beginning of time. Look at how things are sustained. Buddy, there is mystery all around you. The world is mystery. And I'm, I've got it. The world is mystery. And I've got it. One scholar I read this weekend on this book puts it like this. Innocent suffering is a hippopotamus. How's that for your quote on Facebook status? Innocent suffering is a hippopotamus. The only sense it makes, it makes to God, for it is not amenable to human rationality. Innocent suffering is a hippopotamus. The only sense it makes, it makes to God, for it is not amenable to human rationality. And I'm going to pause here and say that I wish it was. I really, really wish that when one of you comes into my office and sits down in tears and talks to me about the heartache of your life and you say to me, Pastor Mary, why? I wish in that moment I could tell you why. I can't. Because there's a lot about it I don't get. And there have been times in my life when I have asked why again and again and again. And I don't get an answer. Innocent suffering is a hippopotamus. The only sense it makes, it makes to God. So our scholar friend says, Job learns that retribution is not the issue, but whether God can be trusted to run his world. And that is the key question, isn't it? When we talk around suffering and we talk around injustice and we talk around all these things, the question right in the middle of the cross here is, is this one, can God be trusted to run his world? This is what Job says. 
Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job says, it's too much. And there's a lot I don't understand. And then God does something really interesting. Turn it to page 424 in your pew Bibles. 424, it's the very end of the book of Job. Job 42, verse 7, page 424. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two little friends. It doesn't say little. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore go, take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shudite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now what did they get wrong? They said, there's a system. And you can beat the system. This is the system. You live a good life, God will have to bless you. So, so work hard on being pious and work hard on being obedient because then God has to bless you. And who is in control of the situation when you describe it that way. All y'all. And what role does God have then? Servant. Right? That's why God's like, I'm a little ticked. You are not getting this. Job's got it. You don't. And then he does this. Verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before. And they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and covered him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemima, the second Kaziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his children's children four generations. And Job died old and full of days. And he never found out why. He never found out why. So when someone around you is going through a season of grief or suffering or loss, do not say to them, someday you'll know why this is happening. Because you don't know that someday they will know why. 
There is a lot to our obedience that is a holy mystery. There's a lot to our suffering that's a holy mystery. Remember the hippopotamus. There is mystery to this stuff. I don't know why God works in your life the way he does. I don't know why he works in my life the way he does. Sometimes I kind of get a glimpse of an idea, maybe a little bit of thread. But to say definitively to somebody, oh, someday you'll know why. Don't go further than Scripture dares to go. So we come back to the question, can God be trusted to run his world? Early on in the book of Job, in chapter 9, as Job is lamenting his state and he's trying to figure out how to get God's attention, how to have a conversation with God, how to figure out where he went wrong or what's happening or why this has come upon him. He says, you know what I really need? I need like, I need like a go-between. I need like, I need like an umpire or a, like a mediator. I need, I need somebody who's going to go between us and, and like communicate because I can't go, it's God. I can't go to God I need somebody who's like, kind of God, kind of like me, kind of, but like, I need somebody. And then later in the book, Elihu, the one who said, well, maybe God's trying to teach you a lesson. Elihu says, you know, maybe, maybe at some point there will be an angel who will come and who will intercede for you and, and will pull you out of this pit. Maybe there's somebody, a holy being who could come along and, and save you and rescue you. Maybe, maybe there's somebody who would be like a man of sorrows, you know, who'd, who'd like really get it. Maybe there'd, there'd be somebody who's like acquainted with grief. Maybe there'd be, there'd be somebody who'd stand in for us and Maybe by, by his, his wounds, there'd be some healing for us. Maybe. 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 Yes. Yes. For we do not worship a God who stands far off. We do not worship a Zeus who has fate in his hands and just rolls it down however he wants. We do not worship some puppet master who just likes to mess with our lives for the sake of it. We do not worship a God who stands far off and manipulates our lives for his own delight. We do not worship a God like that. We worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the second member of the Trinity took on flesh, and he became acquainted with sorrows, well accustomed with grief. He not only bore witness to those who were lame, to those who were hurting, to those who were blind, to those who were on the margins, those who were rejected, he not only bore witness to them, but he became one. He not only stood at the edge of a grave and wept with his friends, but he knows what it's like to be in the garden and say to God, I don't understand what you're doing. This is mystery to me. But not my will, but yours be done. 
and he goes to the cross. And he takes all the suffering of the world with him. And he rises on the third day, victorious. And the vision we are given at the end of the book of Job, where everything is restored, is a vision of what we will all have in the new heavens and the new earth, when all death and sorrow and mourning and pain will be no more, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and a voice of God will say, my dwelling is with my people and everything old is gone and the new has come and you are restored and you get an inheritance and it is better than it ever was before. Can God be trusted to run his world? Because of Jesus Christ, we say yes. Yes. Our security is not based on our obedience, thanks be to God. It is based on the obedience of Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, there are so many mysteries, so many things that we do not understand. And sometimes we pound on your chest like little children, confused and hurting. We thank you that you are not a God who stands far off, but when we pound on your chest, you take your arms and you wrap them around us and hold us tight. You don't let us go. And you remind us again and again and again of our Jesus, our man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who bore our sins in his body on the cross and rose victorious, that our security is never based, thankfully, on what we do or don't do, but it's based on everything that Christ has done and will do. And we long for his return. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Our world belongs to you. Amen.